Hi, welcome back to the On The Brain podcast, where we showcase exciting research at the University of Calgary. Today, we talk about multiple sclerosis. Why is this devastating disease so prevalent in Canada? How much do we know about the cause? Find out as we speak to two students tackling this problem. So, welcome to the On The Brain podcast. Today, we are joined by Zach Bailey, who is a student in the lab of Dr. Usman at the University of Calgary. Zach, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me here. Great. So, we'll just jump in. Uh, Today, we're talking about MS. So, what drove you to research MS? I think, you know, one thing that definitely drove me to research MS is, like, a personal connection. And I think, you know... We have, I think a lot of people in Canada have someone that they know or, or someone, like I'm sure everyone here does, has someone that they know or, or a friend or a family member or something like that that's been affected by MS. Um, and it's no different for me. And so MS was kind of one of the first uh, sort of chronic diseases that I knew about when I was like a kid because we had this uh, this family friend that had it. And so, you know, there's there's like a little bit of a personal cr- sort of connection to it and then um, when you really start to read into it, and like the big questions in MS are are everywhere. So one thing that that is really interesting to me is that I think you know Canada in particular, like I said, it seems like everyone knows someone with MS, and that's kind of unique to Canada. Like we have a rate of MS around like you know say 300 per 100,000 people, and that is super high. Mm-hmm. Like even the states like. It's actually really interesting. So the southern states have this rate of around like 120 per 100,000. No, it's like 60 per 100,000 people. And then the northern states have around 120 per 100,000 people. So there's like this sort of prevalence increase as you go up. And that leads to a lot of questions where it's like, why do people with sort of similar genetic backgrounds, similar diet, you know, like our, our Western diet is kind of similar throughout Canada and the states. Why do we have these different rates of this autoimmune disease as we go north? And so it's questions like that that I think are, are really, really intriguing to research. And, you know, MS is, is so prevalent in Canada and it has this huge sort of burden on the Canadian population, but we still don't know very much about it. And to me, that's like really interesting. Mm-hmm, definitely. It sounds like there's a lot of unanswered questions. And so it's definitely something that needs research. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does MS actually affect people? So like I said, it's, it's an autoimmune disease, which essentially is just an inappropriate activation of your immune system towards your body's own cells. So um, one that people might be more familiar with is like type 1 diabetes, um, which is essentially uh, your body's immune system starts attacking cells that produce insulin, and then you have diabetic symptoms, obviously. So with MS, it's, it's similar. Our immune system starts to attack Uh, either cells in the brain or the spinal cord and then essentially wherever you have that attack going on is what symptoms you'll get so let's say that you have sort of an immune attack in the area of the brain responsible for speech then you might get you know symptoms related to speech if Mm -hmm. you have an attack in the spinal cord then you might get motor symptoms sort of wherever the um, the the immune response happens will kind of dictate what symptoms that you have which I mean, you know, it's obviously not that simple, but it, generally speaking, you know, you can kind of assume that. Yeah, it's a good, a good way to put it for sure. Right, 
So I understand that your research kind of has to do with the different stages of MS. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, exactly. So generally speaking, there's um, sort of, I guess, three main stages of MS. There's a, there's a f- or main sort of subtypes of MS. There's, you know, a few more different classifications, and depending on, I guess, what paper you're reading, they'll, they'll change. But there's three general subtypes that people maybe should be familiar with. And the first is what's called relapsing remitting MS. And this is around of like 85% of MS patients will have this. So essentially it's, it's you know, characterized how the name sounds. So you go through periods of symptom relapse um, where you'll essentially have an immune response um, and it'll lead to whatever symptoms, you know, that the, that the response is going on at. And this will be sort of a symptom relapse that can last, you know, um, on the order of like days to uh, upwards of a week maybe, but you know, it's, it's kind of a short, short-term type thing. Uh, and then you'll go into remission. So remission can last anywhere from months to years where you'll just be completely absent of disease. Um, and that's, you know, kind of a manageable form of the disease, especially in the early stages. Uh, and we have these therapies called disease-modifying therapies where essentially they aim to just extend that period of uh, remission. So let's say that you had an attack and then typically you'd have another attack in six months. These disease-modifying therapies just aim to make that attack happen maybe every couple of years or every few years, um, which, you know, does a lot for the quality of life of relapsing remitting patients. Um, so that's the first subtype. And then somewhere between, you know, 50 or 60% of patients within 10 to 20 years of disease onset with relapsing remitting MS will convert to this secondary progressive form of the disease. And, and, you know, again, it's just how it sounds. It's secondary progressive. So whereas you used to have these periods of, of relapse and remission, uh, those pretty much go away. And so now you, you reach this point where the disease just gradually gets worse and worse and, and just progresses. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, the secondary phase of the disease. So um, our project is essentially looking at the uh, progression from relapse or remitting to secondary progressive MS and, and kind of trying to figure out why that happens in some people, not others. Because like I said, it seems to happen in around half or, or a little over half of people. And something must be different about those that get secondary progressive MS versus those that stay in a relapse or remitting phenotype. It, or phenotype's kind of a... Kind of it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> State? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there must be something different between those that um, convert to secondary progressive MS versus those that stay in a relapsing remitting form of the disease. Um, and, you know, our thought process is essentially very few things in the body happen without reason. You know, it's, it, it's very unlikely that it's just random. That, you know, mm-hmm. some random sample of people are getting this, whereas others aren't. Something must be going on underneath that we can't tell or that we haven't been able to detect to this point that could then lead us to, to figure out kind of what's going on in that conversion and, you know, maybe trying to prevent it ultimately. And then I guess I mentioned three. So the third form of the disease is primary progressive MS, which essentially, um, uh, instead of going through the relapse and remitting phase, you kind of skip all of that and you go straight to a progressive phase from disease onset. And so some people believe that um, they're the same, that they're the same disease. And so those that start with primary progressive MS essentially literally just like have immune attacks that are going on, but they're just undetectable. Um, And then you reach a point where they become detectable and you have this progressive form of disease. And Whereas in some people you can see the relapses, in these patients you just can't. And so there's some thought that maybe they're the same disease, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of interesting data to sort of back that up and, and sort of similarities between them that, that's quite interesting. But again, because we, we don't know much about MS, it's, it's difficult to say. So for now, we have those, those subtypes, but I'm sure that they'll change in five years. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's some patients that get worse, they get better for a while, mm-hmm. they get worse, and then you said 50 to 60% will just uh, get worse and s- continue getting worse. Exactly. And how will that end? Well, you know, sort of grim. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- there's no treatment for, well, there's no effective treatment for secondary progressive MS. Usually these patients are limited to um, just sort of. Uh, drugs to alleviate their pain, just sort of painkillers or um, steroids, you know, like anti-inflammatory drugs that, you know, don't really seem to do much, especially for underlying progression, but maybe improve their day-to-day a little bit, but Mm -hmm. probably, you know, don't have too much effect on the disease. So that's the thing is that we have, you know, hundreds of effective treatments for reopsing remaining patients. And if you're in that unlucky group that gets the secondary progressive form of disease, you're kind of, you know, left out to dry. And it's not like, it's not like they're being overlooked. There's a lot of research going on into it. It's just that we haven't figured out what's going on yet. And so, you know, that's the the big question and and kind of, I guess, what we're trying to do with the project. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely seems like we need to figure something out. (laughs) It does, for sure. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, that, and especially being in the MS field and the MS field in Canada, um, where it's just so prevalent and we have so much research going into it. And there's still these massive, massive questions like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people get secondary progressive MS and we don't know what to do about it. And that's, you know, I think very intriguing to be involved in that kind of research and to sort of feel like you are trying to do something, you know, it, it's kind of nice, but. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So what does your research deal with specifically? So my research is, uh, Basically, you know, we know very little about progression. Um, but one thing that we know for sure is that the older you get, the more likely you are to progress. And so this has kind of led us to, to look at the normal aging process in the body and try to, to find something that happens in aging that could be related to progression, kind of, and, and see how those are tied together. Mm-hmm. And one thing that, that is kind of, that we found, I guess, is, is autophagy um, regulation tends to go down with aging. And as a, as a disclaimer, if you look at a lot of videos on the internet, they'll call it autophagy, okay? <laughs> and I think I'm the only person in the world that pronounces it autophagy, but it makes no sense to me because there's part of the pathway where it forms the autophagosome, which you would never pronounce autophagosome, right? So if anyone's listening to this and they're like, oh, my prof said that it was autophagy, well, you can try to hit them with that and see what they say so we can call it autophagy today thank you i appreciate that yeah i can't change so um yeah autophagy is is essentially this big molecular recycling pathway um and and basically what it does is you know if our cells were because because our cells get old just like your body does so if that happened and, and our proteins started to sort of get um, weaker and started to degrade and our cells just started to get less and less efficient, if we just sent all of that to waste and just excreted it, we would be extremely inefficient and we probably wouldn't you know, have evolved. So instead, when cells start to break down, um, those proteins that are sort of getting old and getting less efficient, instead of just excreting them to waste, 
they're tagged essentially like you know the body puts literally like just like you know a tag on it like a garbage tag yeah exactly yeah yeah just a big garbage tag on it uh and then these autophagy machinery uh, basically see the tag take it up and they break it down into its components so you know um if it's proteins, it's things like amino acids or fatty acids, and then you can use those building blocks to then make more uh, proteins or more cells. And so it's this big recycling pathway, and uh, it's essential. So every cell does this, um, and you know, if a cell didn't have this working, then then you know there would be some disastrous effects. And how I like to liken it to is, um, you know, for those of us that lived uh, in like a first year dormitory, and if you lived in in residence in your first year or whenever. If you know everyone's ordering pizza all the time, or you're getting a bunch of a bunch of recycling and a bunch of garbage, and you're putting it into the garbage room, if nobody took that garbage out, it would just overflow and be a very sort of damaging environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's essentially what the cell is doing: is we're tagging all of this garbage and, and putting it out, and then autophagy is basically acting like you know that good Samaritan, maybe it's the RA, I don't know, <laughs> someone going in and, and picking up all the garbage and taking it out so that you know the cell can can continue to be healthy. Because if you had a pileup of all of that garbage in the cell, the cell becomes you know extremely toxic. It starts to sort of die on its own, and it gets all this aggregation, and it's just super inefficient. So it's a very important pathway, and one of the things that we know about aging is that autophagy regulation tends to go down. So the older we get, the less regulation we have, and so we tend to be less efficient with autophagy, so we have more buildup of, of toxic proteins and things like that um, that lead to you know all kinds of cellular symptoms. Um, and so our thought process is essentially, if this goes on in normal aging, and we know that aging is important in the conversion from relapsing remitting to secondary progressive MS, then potentially something to do with autophagy could be happening in that, in that conversion, maybe either during the relapsing remitting phase or at you know, the, the time or within the window of conversion or, or however you want to define that. But we do think autophagy is, is potentially important and that kind of forms the basis of my project. Okay, so these cells have a buildup of waste and if they don't get rid of it properly, then does that make MS worse? Or how is that related? So yeah, uh, that's kind of exactly what we're trying to figure out. And there's a lot of different avenues that you could look at it. So one thing um, that's kind of the most, I think, uh, straightforward is that if that kind of thing happens in in your neurons, in your brain cells, uh, and you have this buildup of sort of toxic organelles, it can lead to the death of, of these neurons really easily. Uh, and then you get rupturing and you get all of this debris. And so one thing that could be happening in MS is if autophagy is going down in neurons and we essentially lose the ability to recycle proteins in neurons, um, we could have all kinds of neurodegeneration, essentially you know, just breakdown of neurons that we see in MS. And that's kind of a hallmark to, to MS is, is a loss in, in health of these brain cells. Uh, and so that's one thing that could be going on, but you know, because autophagy is happening in, in all kinds of cells, it, it obviously has all kinds of roles in different cells. And so something that is uh, important sort of to, to consider in that when you're looking outside of the brain and into the bloodstream and into the immune system, um, there's probably different things going on. And so one of the things that we think is that autophagy is actually shown to be able to provide essentially samples of proteins to the immune system. 
so that's how the immune system functions, you know, mm-hmm. um, is that, uh, say, for a virus, for example, like, you know, very pertinent right now and why we're all wearing masks is um, if you get a virus in your body, the immune system will sample the virus, you know, cut a little piece off, and then it'll show it to the rest of the immune cells so that they can all recognize this virus and then attack it. So autophagy is actually able to do that as well, where if a pathogen or something enters the cell, the autophage machinery can break it down, and then it can function to show that to other immune cells, which will then, you know, attack whatever the pathogen was. So in the case of MS, something that could be happening is an inappropriate activation um, towards um, brain cells, or I guess the myelin component of brain cells, which I think Emily talked about a little bit, so that's good. Um, but basically the, the part that wraps around the brain cells, um, which is sort of the, the target um, the target protein for a lot of MS immune damage, um, that the, the cells could be inappropriately sampling that, and then we have an activation of autophagy, which is then able to sort of bypass normal, um, you know, presentation tactics for these, uh, for these little pieces of protein. And now all of a sudden, we've got the immune system sampling this little piece of our own brain um, that could have been, you know, uh, related to autophagy, which then we've got an attack on the brain cells, I guess, from that presentation. So. There's a lot of things that could be going on, and, and certainly up to this point, we found both elevated autophagy in some cells and decreased autophagy in some cells. Um, and you know, the, the big thing is just putting together the puzzle and trying to figure out exactly what's going on, but it's, it's quite complex. And I would be lying if I said that I had figured it out yet, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, but every little, little piece of research helps. Yeah, true. So you, it's possible that this recycling in the cells um, causes improper sampling by your immune system, and then that causes an inappropriate um, attack on your on your brain cells. Exactly, exactly. That's a much more efficient way of putting it. <laughs> okay. So where do you see the field going in the near future? Yeah, um, it's difficult, I guess, to predict exactly where it's going, but one thing that's getting a lot of buzz lately has been um, vitamin D and, and actually, you know, a number of different vitamins and sort of uh, which are related to like vitamin D, for example, which is obviously related to diet. Um, and it's also related to the sun. So I talked a little bit about how it seems like prevalence seems to go north. So um, where the southern states have, say, 60 per 100,000, the northern states have 120 per 100,000, then Canada's got almost 300. And so it seems to be climbing north. And one thing you know, that, that goes as you climb north is we lose sunlight. Mm-hmm. And vitamin D has these uh, various roles in the immune system where it seems to have some uh, level of, of ability to sort of shut down the pro-inflammatory side of the immune system. So sort of that traditional damaging immune component that we see. Um, vitamin D seems to do something with that. Um, obviously, you know, uh, if we if, if it gets dark early, we just had daylight savings. If it gets dark earlier, we're getting less vitamin D. And so that could be an explanation as to why Canada has this high rate. We see similar high rates in Scandinavia and in sort of the Northern Europe countries, not quite the same as Canada. So it definitely wouldn't explain the entire story, I don't think, um, but it's interesting. And so that's one thing that is, is getting a lot of buzz. Um, vitamin D, vitamin B as well. Um, it's sort of interesting. So everyone 
take your vitamins, get out in the sun. <laughs> um, Definitely. It's a yeah. good thing to do in general. <laughs> mm-hmm. Change your diet. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Do all the healthy things. Exactly. Exercise. There's a lot of evidence for exercise and MS. I think one thing that I think not just MS, but health in general is trying to sort of go towards is uh, more like personal prophylaxis, you know, like personal preventation, like or prevention. I don't know why I said preventation. <laughs> Would that personal, be different for each person then? Yeah, so like personal prevention. So essentially, um, you know, just just like living a healthy lifestyle, you're less likely to get MS, you know. Um, that's obviously not entirely true, but if you, you know, have a, have a good diet or at least a diet within sort of a normal range, you don't have to be like perfect diet but you know Mm -hmm. something balanced Uh, if you exercise there's a lot of evidence that seems to point to exercise having you know a beneficial role in MS Um, you know things like that being out in the sun and and being outside is is important and so yeah you know especially drugs tend to get a little bit of a bad rap you know even like sort of miracle drugs and things like that you know we don't have to talk about vaccines but (laughs) you know miracle drugs seem to even have like a little bit of a bad perception from from uh, the public and so something that we can avoid if we can avoid relying on drugs in the future and and just trying to find like a a perfect drug that will answer this uh, I think that's good so if we can find sort of population level ways to, to reduce prevalence then I think that that could be you know really important and there's a lot of research going on into that so Mm-hmm. Maybe we just need a big, a big light above Canada in the winter. We just have a big <laughs> beam, and we see what that does. Bring the sun a little bit yeah, closer. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, this has been very informative. I'm glad. I hope it's been. I yeah. Don't talk too much. No, definitely not. It, it'll be very interesting to see how all these pieces fit together mm-hmm. in the future. So I want to thank you so much for coming on and and telling us about your research and about MS. No, thank you for giving me the platform. It's great. Yeah, and best of luck in your future endeavors. Thank you. You as well. Maybe Tyler will come on and talk about his research sometime. (laughs) Maybe one day.